Well, given that I'm staying at the mall, um, I'll have plenty of options. Which mall? Stratford. Yeah. Um, it's the Westfield that they opened next to the Olympic Park. Oh. Uh, but they built, there's a high reach. Yeah. Can you buy gift cards there that are pound denominated using the weakened currency in dollars as a hedge against addition, <laughs> or as a arbitrage against additional churning? No, I think, I don't even think they really do gift cards here, but I can go to the ATM and pull cash out. I actually debated doing that. Like, would it make sense to have a couple thousand dollars, a couple thousand pounds, like, because next time I go there, there's no way the rate's going to be this low. And actually decided, like, time value of money plus convenience factor of I never use cash for anything. So, like, I'd have to convert it back, basically, and that would cost me enough that I'd lose in the end. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of places don't even accept cash anymore as I'm learning. Yeah. Like, I had to use cash for one transaction when I was there last week. And I'm trying to remember what it was now, but it was something because it was only, like, three pounds or two and a half pounds. It was it was a small number, so, like, I can understand why they didn't want to, you know, take the card and the whatever. But it was, like, a random bakery or something where I got breakfast, like, a snack. It wasn't even, like, everything where I walked in a store to go do something, I feel like, save that one, was definitely pin only. Yeah, I was, I mean, the kind of bars weren't taking cash. Yeah, of the food places I've been to are taking cash. The only place that I have actually successfully used cash is either Boots or like Superdrug. Yeah, and I haven't didn't try those. Even the grocery stores, like where was it? There was I think one of the grocery stores I went into. I tried to just buy a candy bar, and it was like only a pound, and so my it wouldn't take a credit card. Okay, and I was like, well, then I'm not buying a credit. Card. I'm not buying my snack, and I walked out. Um, no snack for you. And actually, now that I think about it, it was euros where I had to spend cash. It wasn't even, and that was somewhere in Europe. It was somewhere in the continent. It wasn't uh, UK because I didn't have any pounds with me, which is weird. So I thought I had something anyway. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. On that note, hello and welcome to episode 406 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. Uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, Foz is in London. Seth is not although he was recently, and Stephen is AWOL. How's it going, Fuzz? Not too bad on yourself. Can't complain. Well, I got lots to complain about, but that's why we have a podcast. Uh, <laughs> minor details. Um, what do you think about Allegris? What is Allegris? The branding Lufthansa has given to its new cabins. You know, in the tech industry, we have this concept of vaporware. I feel like Lufthansa <laughs> has mastered the concept of vaporware. No, no, they, they promise these are real. They're going to start flying next year. Uh, so are they going to get like a Skytrax 9 rating? Well, you know, but you, one can dream, right? Write a bigger check. Um, so there's a lot to unpack with all of this. This is basically the new first class suite was unveiled. And so that's the big, uh, biggest part of this news. It's a meter wide seat that turns into a two meter long bed. So right a three foot wide, very wide, which is nice. Presumably it'll be one, one, one on a wide body, I guess. Um, I mean, kudos to Lufty for not getting rid of first. Yes, I, I will give. I guess. Point. I mean, it, apparently there's demand for it, so sure we'll go with that. But allegedly, so kudos to them. But I mean, it looks beautiful. There's no doubt about it. Well, it's it's giant. All we've seen literally is like the seat facing one way and the seat facing the other way for what appears to be like a 42 inch screen. I haven't been able to measure, but if you imagine it's a 30 inch wide space that a TV is fitting into, and you measure on the diagonal, and it fills the space. It's a giant screen. Um, and now that I think about it, I think actually, I think maybe it was Panasonic at one of the trade shows recently said they had a 42-inch screen, something like that. So, like, that's insane. Um, there's an ottoman, and there's apparently a table comes out so you can do, you know, 
have a guest come over and dine in your suite with you. We haven't seen what the middle section is supposed to look like. We haven't seen it in bed mode. Like, there's a wardrobe. I do appreciate that they suggest you can change into, in the release, you can change into your pajamas in your suite without having to go into the bathroom. Wait, 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 wait. I don't have to have a repeat of my previous experience? No LH, no pants. Oh. Now, will the Germans learn to close the door? Well, minor detail. Also, generally, those types of suites have a camera in them. Not often talked about because the flight attendants have to be able to make sure that things are on the up and up, like for takeoff and landing, because they can't see in from their jump seats. Don't they mandate to keep the doors open? Even with that, if there's not line of sight, so like the JetBlue A321neo, where the flight attendants sit and where the like the bulkhead there is too big and there's a camera pointed back into the cabin so that they can see. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, that that's an interesting stance because I guess the question that I would pose, like there is no way that the flight attendant is watching everyone in a business class cabin. So what are they, like, right, I think about the United, yeah. particularly the window seats, there's no way you would have line of sight. Yeah, there's... I think that's part of why the walls are lower, though. Like, you have to be able to like, see something flying. or I don't I don't know exactly what the... You have to see if someone is up and about, maybe. Okay. That, okay but, if, that's the, if that's what they're looking for, that, then that makes... Yeah, it's basic stuff. But I just remember on my... When I did the JetBlue Mint Studio, I was in 1A, which is the, you know, the big seat. And the camera, it turns out, is, like, just in the wall right above it. And it's sort of a fisheye lens. And the other day, I actually saw the little cam- the, uh, screen on and showing it. But it was like... I got up to, I, I was trying to set up to take a photo of myself and the flight attendant came out from the gallon. I was like, Hey, do you need help with that? And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I saw that you were trying to take a picture. I figured I'd come over and help and I was bored. I was like, okay, well that's cool. Great. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, the first thing I agree, it looks very nice. They made a big a point of saying they're keeping the caviar service, the joint dining thing, uh, right? Huge two and a half billion euro investment. Uh, overall and sort of all sorts of bits and bobs that are going into this. Um, there, There's also a new business class and parts of it we've seen before, the sort of crazy wide throne for the middle seats in some rows. But they also teased a first row suite with doors that the rest of business class won't have. So, I, I mean, I saw the business class pictures, but... Those, they're the same ones we've been seeing since they really announced the 777X like eight years ago. I, and I, and like, absolutely. But I feel like Luffy's coming to this game what, five, seven years late. Yes. Would we not expect something a little more ingenious than what's pretty much matching what's already out there? Yep. Yes and no. There's not that much more innovation available, right? Like the it goes in waves, but it seems like the industry has somewhat it's very incremental changes and improvements on what is basically, hey, we've got a flatbed with direct aisle access and we figured out how to do it on the outboard so you don't have to climb over someone. And we figure out how to do it where it's also not at an angle, which people seem to just like flying at that angle. Um, and when, are they, when are they just going to take my couch and just strap it in and say, here? But arguably, that's what the first class seat's supposed to be. And that's kind of, I mean, I feel like the next iteration is going to be a couch where you can cozy up with people. Um, would you not call that the Q-Suite squad? No, because like, you're, you're facing so, each other, right? Yeah. yeah. There's walls and you're facing each other. Means great right. so that you're back to the Amer- the American Airlines sort of twin, except not really. Was it American? Right? There's like I don't know the honeymoon the honeymoon suites, if you will, the honeymoon pairings. But yeah, it's obviously that none of that's ever going to happen because of safety regulations. But it's fun to thought think about. Yeah, I mean, but I just wonder. You know, I, um, I think back to when first class went away, 
in favor of business pretty much across the board with a, uh, at least stateside, right? And a number of other yeah. characters. And then I, and, you know, that business classroom was in, they, was introduced to as an intermediary between coaching first for a lower price point. Business has evolved into what you used to be first, arguably. Now premium economy is coming into the middle. Would these airlines be better off investing in premium economy than all this business stuff? So they are investing in premium economy. There's the new seat for that as well. Also, even despite them talking up first, they're not putting it on every plane. So not all of the fleet's getting it. Um, and they're actually pretty unclear in terms of which will and won't. But I assume 350 gets it. Uh, 787s do not appear to be based on what was in the release. Uh, the 748 retrofit will be interesting to see. I would assume yes, but that's a lot to install in the 74. Like, where do you put that suite? Do you do it upstairs? Because you can sort of do it as a 1-1 upstairs. Where is first on the 748? I don't even know. Doesn't have it, does it? No, the seven four eights have to. I'm thinking of the three eighties because I know they have them, and that's upstairs. And historically, lefties put up first upstairs. Oh, yeah. on You're right. Eighty F. It's eight F. So um, seat map. It's in the nose. Oh, so it's not. They put it downstairs. Interesting. Yeah, and it's three rows of singles plus a pair, like the what used to be the Captain Kirk chair or seat, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a pair right that, and then it has the sort of buffet on the front of it. Interesting. Okay. I mean, you could put it upstairs. It was always a nice experience upstairs. I love flying upstairs, man. Oh, that, the, every now and then, like, do it and then get off the go to get off the plane. Like, oh, right. All these other people were here with me. Uh, <laughs> it's a this was it. I sort of forget. This was it. My private plane. Yeah, you know, there were like 30 other people up there. But yeah, one, two, three, four, eight, tw- eight times four. There's, yeah, 32 seats upstairs currently. And that's the stretch because it's the eight. Um, but you're right, investing in premium economy is a big part of it, but that only works if business class at least is a flatbed, and these days probably direct dial access. Obviously, not going with doors for most of business class is still, you can we can argue whether, that's, whether that matters or not. I would say it shouldn't, but you know it probably does in some ways. A lot of people feel strongly about a three and a half foot high door for people walking by that are five feet or taller. Yeah, I, can't, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, Feed information for lefty. I'm still surprised they have 350s with no power. They have made choices. <laughs> is that true? But they've made choices. Allegedly, there is no power on 350s or 380. I believe in coach or knows the tail? Economy. Economy, that I believe. Okay, yeah. That's still a bad choice, but I believe that. Um, but so we talked a little bit about the premium economy. I mentioned it. That's a uh, hard shell matches the Swiss one that just rolled out. It's pretty, it's actually decent, but it, the hard shell is always an interesting battle of when you were flying you move forward instead of the seat moving back so what are your knees going to feel like i haven't seen i haven't sat in that seat yet so we'll see um but i don't have a ton of feelings uh but then there's economy with four different seating options that i don't get so you've got extra legroom in the first few rows regular seats for everyone else and then options to fly to fly to buy a blocked middle or to buy what they're calling sleeper row 2.0, because, you know, better than the first, which is basically the old sky couch with the flip-up leg rest that fills the space and a mattress to go on top of it that you get your row of three. But, but I mean, I didn't, people. I didn't, I know, but I didn't think sky couches were very successful. Yeah, me neither. Okay, so it's not just me. <laughs> um, It's, uh, yeah, it's super strange. So, um. I, what's bizarre to me about that is also like when are they going to sell it and how are they going to merchandise it right the extra leg room is easy because they charge for advanced seat assignments so you can do that pretty straightforward selling blocked middle 
in advance is usually frowned upon because you can try to sell the seat. So you don't decide it till the last minute. So like, I don't know if I'm getting it or not. They did show that they're going to have some of them set up to be able to put in, they'll be able to drop in little tray tables, like they wrote this. So I guess that's cool. And then the same for the sleeper row, like you're not going to sell that for 200 bucks or whatever, when you might be able to sell those individual seats to people. So marketing things like that, that you can sort of only buy at the airport is always seems like a weird, uh, investment path to me for a product yeah i mean and i guess the, one of the questions like you might consider doing it with a 24-hour window but what do you do in the case of regular operation yeah i mean and like anything right irregular operations we revoked what we you know you no longer have that seat you no longer have a block middle sorry we give you your money back but um but is that the right thing to do or let it like if someone's paid for honor that you're not going to bump someone on or someone else and deal with the EU 261 comp and all that on or someone else's $100 I blocked the middle seat. I wouldn't. I'm an asshole though, so what do you know? <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting question, right? Like, you, you, once you've sold something to someone, you've contractually implied that you, you know, you're, you're supposed to deliver the service. Oh, Foz, you're so cute. These are airlines. There's no rules. I know. But they make up the rules as they go along. And the points don't matter. Uh, um, Anyway, the the four products in economy is also, it's like, it's a lot and it's crazy to be in. It'll be interesting to see how, which of those are successful, but it's a lot going on there. Yeah, um, if they're just creating too much segmentation. Yeah. But on the plus side, the fact that they're rolling this stuff out on the 748 means we should have those fly around for quite some time to come. So, you know. It's good because I haven't gotten one of those yet. Yeah. I was actually looking at flights uh, to Rome for next year and in and out of Boston found award seats on Lufthansa economy, but at least to hold something, you know, on the dates we want them. Seems like a good enough idea. And it's seven four fours back and forth across the Atlantic currently. Wait, seven four fours or eight? It's loaded in the schedule of seven four fours. I didn't even think they were flying the fours anymore. So good times. I'm, I actually reminds me I need to get those booked so I can uh, have something just in case for fun. They've got them listed as active in their long haul fleet. Interesting. I thought they had parked those. Maybe I. Those are the ones that they took first out of. Oh, okay. I didn't even realize that, but okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they, for for a while there, they had first upstairs, and you got the single double. You got like the double seat. Yep, the chair and the bed, the sidecar. Uh, yeah, that's tough. I mean, absurdly luxurious, but fun. Um, that was a good. I, I think I did that on Life Miles. I did Vancouver to JFK. Nice via Frankfurt. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. They really didn't have routing rules, so you could price that as a uh, price it as like basically a North America connection. The good old days arbitrage. Good old days of people who don't have geography running loyalty programs. We just described a U.S. Air. And many more. Um, anyway, what's next? Uh, Delta and Joby have signed on for an ex- mutually exclusive partnership. They're they're hot and heavy together. You know, not seeing anybody else. Uh, whereby Joby will provide last almost last mile uh, EV tall service to get people closer to and from their home and airport. Okay. Maybe. Uh, target markets are LA and New York to start. Five-year exclusivity deal. Um, a couple interesting things about this that are different from some of the other uh, EVTOL programs. Joby is going to operate it as its own. So Joby, in addition to manufacturing the planes, uh, is also setting itself up as a airline. They have their Part 135 operating certificates so they can operate passenger service, like commuter, short-haul stuff like this. Um, and they are but they're so like you don't necessarily buy the Joby planes you buy flight hours or number of seats like passenger seats hours flown 
So that's the exclusivity Delta has. Um, also, sort of, it's a five, and it's a five-year exclusivity contract with from when they actually begin commercial operations with options to extend. Also, slipped into the news, uh, they are exclusive partners in the United Kingdom as well. Okay. So British Airways couldn't use Joby as an onward connection to like if they come up with a heliport in downtown London or something. Yeah. Um, that said, it's also written that these are just going to be. This will be a sort of priority access to services and code share and sort of single ticket, single ticket through ticketing, check bags, whatever, while Joby is going to continue to run its own standalone service. So you might have a British Airways, like if you're a British Airways passenger, if you're a United passenger in the States or wherever, you know, not a Delta passenger in a place where this exists, you would be able to buy it separately. It just won't be bundled into the package and won't be a seam, quote unquote seamless. So we'll see uh, connection, et cetera. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, so I guess the one question I would pose is like the Delta agreement, a code share type thing. So that's how it strikes me is it's going to be code share. Um, but like, I mean, I guess they can just have like 10,000 flight numbers and it's LAX to the, you know, the heliports that they use. So that's the other thing is like the headlines and the press release and everything were all like from home to airport, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and I, someone clarified who works there clarified to me. Well, we don't mean really home. We, you still have to drive to a heliport or vertiport. Excuse me, which is sort of calling where these things operate. You also have to drive to a vertiport to, you know, get on this thing to then fly over to the airport. But I, we've seen this before with things like Blade and stuff, and they haven't been overly successful. So what's going to make this different? The argument is they're much quieter. So you don't have the complaints about noise of helicopters landing places, which is a real problem. Um, they're more efficient. They're cheaper to build than helicopters. And you can sell the zero emissions angle as well. I, I'm going to call BS on cheaper to build only because there's a lot more R&D cost for these versus yeah. helicopters. Um, and they might they might be cheaper 10, 15 yeah. years down the road, but for the time being. Yeah, I, right. So what they're saying right these days, what all the companies who are building these are saying is the sort of unit cost at the sales, which who the heck knows how much of that is going to pay off debt that they've incurred in fundraising to get to production levels. Um, but they're arguing that they're supposed to be much cheaper, which means that they'll be able to operate the seats much less expensive. So much lower cost to operate a seat so they can charge less and make money still, blah, blah, blah. Night efficiencies of scale, this and that. Um, eventually, maybe autonomous also, but not right now. Um, but still, like the whole, yeah, we're not actually flying you all the way home, despite the fact that we said home in all of our collateral annoys me. Oh, you know, home is relevant. Or relative, excuse me. <laughs> Perhaps both. Perhaps uh, both. But I, like, I think back to, and I forget the name of the company. It wasn't Blade. It was the other US helicopter. Was it a U.S. helicopter that Continental used? Yeah. yeah. And like those were free rides, and even then they weren't being used. In right. Couldn't give it away. Yeah. Because it so, turns out that flying to the east side heliport or the Wall Street heliport isn't actually super convenient for most of the people in Manhattan. Yeah, so, I mean, and the noise for Manhattan wouldn't matter. Correct. Well, right. I mean, it, it does, but uh, it matters to all the people who are there, but it turns out the, the operators didn't care. Yeah. But, no, it's, you're and you're right. I I think part of that also is, like, they operated hourly, if that, and so it's gotten a, like, Blade got a little more aggressive on scheduling, and obviously doesn't operate if there's no people flying, but can operate more aggressively, and these, in theory, if they're cheap enough to, and you have enough of them, you can run an every 10-minute shuttle. Right. Like for me, yeah, I took the U.S. helicopter a couple of times back in 07, 08, so around that time when it was existing. And it was after they'd started putting them on sale. So they were super cheap. 
It was about the same price as a car service. Um, and when I would take it, though, like I had to be very careful about scheduling because you could misconnect, essentially. And I only took it going to the airport, not coming back. Right. So I would go from a customer office near Wall Street. It was actually right on. I can't remember which street it was on now, but Water Street, I think, uh, okay. where the heliport's right at the end of the block. Yep. And they were like, from my office, I, sw- I watched planes out the hel- at the heliport and then would walk down the elevator, walk across the, uh, the FDR and into the hel- into the airport or into the whatever terminal. So, but that was the only reason it made sense for me. Right. So, yeah. I, it, and maybe LA will be better because there's arguably actually the traffic is worse and some of the drive times are worse. But again, you're still stuck with, they're going to have to operate in sort of flight corridors and in conjunction with all the other traffic and all of those other things. And LA also still has helipads on top of a lot of buildings that New York City got rid of because of uh, Pan Am building crash, right? Yeah. So at the time but yeah so i mean it'll be interesting right because i'm looking at the just since i was at jfk the other blade was advertising 195 yeah each way and i'm like thinking if they can drop that by half that's probably about the cost not too far off from the cost of an uber or a lifty yeah and so right like when i did it it was 99 dollars at u.s helicopter and our car service was 75 and i actually explained to tyke our accounting department paid the 25 dollars out of pocket because it was too cool right 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 um, but yes, both of those numbers have gone up since, um, if they can lower the cost enough and run it frequently enough and still carry your bags, right? This is a problem that, tri- uh, Tailwind, the seaplane folks have had. Yep. Like you can't bring a bag with you and ship it ahead. Uh, speaking of which they're finally, finally did launch their DC service to Dulles delayed and to the wrong place, but it's running now. Um, but right, like it. What, who are you actually? Oh, it was just the business traveler. Like, well, you know, business travelers have a suitcase too. Yeah. Like, how, what are you supposed to do in that case? Just say, F it? No, you take the car or you pay a silly amount and have someone deliver your bag later. And like, the, Tailwind has a service that does that. Actually, even Blade has limits on the bags and like an option for if you have too much, they courier it for you. And partly, it's partly physical space and partly weight. I mean, I guess you could buy an additional seat. This is reminding me of pre-merger, like right? You remember pre-merger United where they would ship your bags via FedEx? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? It's like, what's what's old is new again. Um, And someone will come, but it's door-to-door. So, you know, you don't even have to take it to the airport. We just we, we send a driver out to pick it up. Why is he wearing a FedEx uniform? Don't worry about that. Um, Details. Anyway, yeah. So, like many things, they still got to get the plane certified and get it flying and a lot of other things. But this is a... And right, like, United has a deal for some planes from one of the competitors. American has a deal for planes from one of the competitors. They both would seem to be set to operate them themselves or through a regional operator, not... Right, in this case, Joby sort of becomes Delta Express or Delta VTOL, whatever you want to call it. Um, United's got its deal. I think Mesa is supposed to operate them. Uh, I don't know which of the American subsidies is going to do it, but we'll see. Since you've researched this a lot, one question that I have is from... Since these are all obviously electric. Yeah. Are they doing separate battery packs for the different motors? Or are they doing a single battery? I don't know. Obviously, you would think for redundancy and perform and like certification reasons, there probably needs to be multiple packs that, and probably multiple electrical pathways that can both feed both. Yep. But, and I would assume there's some sort of setup for that. I haven't gotten that deep into the weeds though. And the other question would be how many motors does it need to keep afloat to get the to be able to land if it's got six how many have to be operational yeah for a safe descent 
Yep. At what po- at what point does it auto abort and just descend wherever it is because it's running out of men- engines or motors? Or do, you, or do you have to strap in with a parachute? No. Um, but those are good questions. I don't know the answer to those. I can. There's someone I can ask, but uh, they may it may even answer. Um, Singapore Airlines might be investing in Air India. Uh, I, I <laughs> <laughs> tell us how you really feel, Papa. I thought we were done with the chapter in the airline industry of where airlines invested in poor choices. So the argument is now that Tata owns Air India and they already have their partnership with Vistara between Tata and Singapore Airlines, this would basically be extending that. Singapore Airlines has already seconded some employees over or former employees now work at uh, with Tata. So they sort of know what's going on. And uh, there is some potential, you know, you know, just looking at sort of passenger flows, there's a lot of demand from India into Europe, into North America that bypasses Singapore, while Asia, you know, Southeast Asia and Australia and New Zealand, whatever, could go via Singapore. So it arguably doesn't uh, erode too much of Singapore's core market base mm-hmm. and gives them an opportunity to take what was a terrible operation and, and if it could be made into a decent operation, have a decent position in it. The problem with Air India, right, is the people. And that's that's a tall task to get change the behavior of the employees and the entitlement of the employees. Yes. Um, and who knows if it... I, some of that changed over with the buyout, but not all of it, for sure. Oh, yeah. I would bet there's still a lot buried in there, right? Yeah. It'll be interesting. It will. Um, speaking of sort of crazy capacity in India, though, Indigo is going to wet lease some Turkish 777s. And it goes an all A320 family airline, low-cost carrier. Uh, apparently, they're not getting deliveries from Airbus fast enough, and so their solution to that is to wet lease 777s. Please tell me these are Jet Airways 777s, so everything comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have the F-cabins anymore, though. But it would still be ironic if it's the same ships. It would. I'd have to, I'll have to go check on that. I know, um, actually, Turkish had been using some 777s it wet leased from... And I don't remember where, but from somewhere Middle East or Africa, they were even higher density for their India flights because demand is so high okay. and the bilateral has caps on number of frequencies. Um, so actually the theory on this is currently no Indian airline is flying from India to Turkey. So there's, and the frequencies are basically split half and half. And I think it's each, it used to be one daily f- flight. I think it's now two because Air India or because Turkish is flying a pair if they fly both Mumbai and Delhi daily. In theory, that means Indigo can offer double daily from somewhere in India to somewhere in Turkey. We using three planes is about the right number to make that work because of durations and whatever. They don't shouldn't need that many planes, but whatever spares. Maybe they'll do some domestic too. But uh, and they have a code share with Turkish and. They're longtime partners of Turkish or whatever. So this is sort of Turkish just giving someone else capacity to sell that Turkish can put its code on and still make money from. Okay. So it was a roundabout way to get around the uh, bilateral limitations for sure. It's still amusing. Yeah. It's dumb. A lot of capacity there, though. Um, also, like, who's going to, like, how is Indigo going to handle ground services? It's wet least, right? So that means the pilots and the cabin crew come across from Turkish. But, and, you know. Catering, I guess, shouldn't be a problem. It's mostly buy on board and whatever. But like ground handling, they have twice as many seats on board as the A321s or 50, 60% more. Like that's just crowds in the terminals and things like that. This, it'll be interesting to see how they sort that. 
And I would argue that their people probably don't know how to handle a triple seven. Right. No, I mean, if if you use ground, you could use whoever India has on, on available for ground handling. I think it's actually Air India mostly is where the contracting goes. Okay. Um, which was a butt of contention because you, you the U.S. carriers weren't allowed to self-handle, and that was a problem. They couldn't, like, bring their own or hire someone else. Um, but anyway, yeah, this is a going to be exciting to see triple sevens and... You know, presumably they'll be painted in the indigo livery, so that'll be fun. Uh, yeah, this is just another topic I want to talk about. There was an interesting story that came out. It was on uh, Aviasia online, sort of Spanish uh, naming, so I can't pronounce it right. Um, Airling has picked up a couple A320 Neos and is exclusively flying them to Heathrow right now. Okay, and like arguably the short haul doesn't do much to take advantage of the quiet and fuel efficiency that uh, Neo brings to the market, right? You don't get additional range. You not flying long enough and like takeoff and landing aren't where you get the real efficiency. You get the efficiency at cruise altitude, all of those things. And digging into it more, it turns out they're saving a ton of money. Oh, that's good. Uh, it's good for the airline. Uh, the uh, movement charges at Heathrow uh, for a regular 320 are like, if I'm reading this correctly, are 4,000 pounds. Uh Fourteen high. Each move. Oh, sorry. Each movement is eighteen hundred pounds. Um, the uh, the neo is charged at six hundred pounds, five hundred fifty-seven pounds. So they're saving uh, thirteen hundred pounds per departure. It's a huge savings. Yeah. Um, it's like so. Yeah. I mean, like okay, one hundred seventy seats on board. Where it's like almost ten bucks a head, eight bucks a head. Like, and they can keep charging the money because no one's ever sort of realize that's what part of the charges are it's just bundled into your fare right um it's a lot of money and it's interesting to i think it's mostly interesting to me to see how Heathrow has skewed the rules that much to make it uh so so uh useful for airlines to pick their cheaper planes yeah i mean so this is how do they define a new plane i guess that would be my first it's question. by the uh amount of noise and makes basically okay uh, using each plane is certified by, uh, I think, ICAO standards. Or so there's there's sort of numbers about it and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's a super interesting situation. Which so obviously this encourages airlines to use newer planes. Also, like it would be why you know United is would want to use more 787s than 763s, even the high J where they can sell more business seats and whatnot where they can. Um, right, all of those things it works in the favor of the operations. But you also have to wonder a little bit like okay cool but then how does Heathrow still keep paying for things like if as the airlines convert to cheaper and cheaper planes like some of those savings have to disappear oh don't worry they'll just raise the fees yeah which they sort of have been trying to do and it's been pissing people off and there's been lawsuits and fights over that so anyway just if anything I think it's nice to see an airport right airports recognizing it's one way or another that there is value for reducing noise and reducing emissions because those go hand in hand uh, and inducing that behavior or rewarding that behavior. But is that really a long-term change, or is it just, like, something that will revert at some point, like, you know? No, sure. They've had the this schedule of charges for some time, so... Okay. Um, seems to be sort of the standard. Um, what else we got here? Uh, JetBlue, calling it a devaluation, but we don't know for sure. Uh, the True Blue program, they sent out an email on Friday saying, hey... Exciting news. Everything's going to be different in 2023, but we can't tell you anything about it other than you're losing three of your current bonuses right now. 
okay. But it's going to be good for you. Don't worry about it. This this re- this reminds me of uh, Lufty did something somewhere, right? They they put uh, announced changes before the pandemic, put them on hold, and now they've announced them again. Yeah, but with no details. Yeah, we're excited to be rolling out enhancements. There's a dangerous flag, red flag I, there to the True Blue program. I was going to use that me. word. Yeah, do you do you want to? I don't know if you, that word means what you think it means. Um, that are designed to meet the needs and exceed the expectations of more of our customers, whether you're an intrepid or occasional travel. These include new ways to earn mosaic status, the ability to customize your perks so you can choose what's most valuable to you, new perks for mosaics in addition to many that you know and love, and non-mosaics can earn valuable perks too. Sounds cool. Um, I will say ability to customize your perks means you have to pick and choose now. You're not going to get everything. And I did a survey with them once where they're like, which of these is most important to you? And like, ironically for me, like having someone answer the phone when I call and be able to help me is probably the most important elite benefit I get. And so like, oh, you get to pick the option of someone answers your phone calls would be hysterical. But obviously that's not going to be the thing. But um, but to make way for these exciting changes, they're getting rid of take three lucky seven and go long bonuses. So they are sort of what they sound like. Take three is if you took three round trips or six one ways you got. I think 5,000 points. Lucky seven was 14 one ways. You got 10,000 maybe. And go long was 10, 1,600 mile trips. So transcons or uh, most of the Caribbean routes counted, um, so at least from the Northeast, uh, you'd get another bonus. So those are going away. And, oh, this I didn't even see this before. Due to a system update, points redemptions to move from a regular mint suite to a mint studio will end on November 30th you'll still be able to make the move paying cash. Tell you something, folks, it's never the computer's fault. It's you deciding you didn't want to support that in your computer. Yeah, I like how they're just blaming it on the computer. And that was like, that's actually a huge benefit for, for Mosaics. That and the ability to, it used to be just the ability to upgrade to even more space at all using points. Now it's actually, it's free or you actually get paid to do it because they only charge you 200 points and you earn 200 points for doing it. Okay. And sometimes they charge you 100 points and you earn 200 points for doing it so you can profit from taking the even more space seat. But um, it's just, they announced this. I'm like, I'm on the cusp of getting Mosaic next year. Should I? I don't know what the benefits, I don't know what the program's going to be. I don't know what my benefits are going to be. You can, you won't tell me. Other than I'm not going to get these bonuses. I mean, you know, the more the more I talk to people, the more I question, is status really worth anything? Not Certainly not as much as people used to think it was. I mean, I, but I've been saying that forever. And I absolutely agree with you. And I wonder, like, what are the real values of status at this? Um, someone answers the phone and actually, in some cases, depending on the airline, actually does something about it when they do. I mean, I think that you're right. That's pretty that's, much that's the, the main one for me, honestly. I mean, saving some time in lines at the airport is nice. Um, free free, and free extra legroom when, I, when it works. Yeah, because, like, the more I think about it, I just feel like the only real hard benefit that you get yeah. is pre-boarding and someone picking up the phone. Now, and pre-boarding is a burden some days depending on how full the plane is and if you need your bag in an overhead but i'll also say like you know free extra legroom is not free um it's more free than the free breakfast you get with hotel status in my opinion but how much are you willing to spend for like maybe getting a little extra being able to use your benefits to get those extra legroom seats and for me the answer is like well i can easily go look at what it costs to buy extra legroom seats on the other airlines too um and it's usually i mean it depends obviously where you're flying but often not a huge deal but i I don't do it for upgrades, for sure. That ship sailed a long time ago for me. Um, and many other of those types of benefits I just don't see. So, What's an upgrade? Exactly. 
I was pretty. It's, it's, it's amusing to me you saying this as you're like on the cusp of four million miler, but yeah, but like I, I and I will be very honest. Like, yeah, that's great, but the only real benefits that I extra- extrapolate any value from is the phone call, yeah, right? And like, and the there's yeah, I get plus points, but the reality is, and this is Stephen will attest to this. PZ has gotten so hard to find at this point, yeah. That it's not even, like, is it even a realistic benefit? I just don't think it is. Yeah, I mean, it's always sort of dependent on route and schedule and this and that, and it's harder these days especially, right? The airlines have always been trying to sell more premium seats. Delta just did earnings last week and said they hit 54% of revenue coming from premium or other, and only 46 from main cabin. Now, admittedly, Comfort Plus now counts as a premium cabin to them. It has for a little while. So that's part of the shift. And you can't just sort of, you can't just buy extra legroom. You buy an upgrade to Comfort Plus. So they're juicing the numbers a little bit that way. But um, people are buying premium. Like yields in the premium cabin are going up, international especially. But like people are buying those products. So yeah, there aren't going to be upgrades. Yeah, I was arguing with a friend of mine a few weeks ago where I said, you know, the problem is there's a, there's a, there's a tipping point, right? When you take away, when you promise this benefit that no one can use, it becomes a useless benefit and you push people away. Yeah. You, you frustrate the customer that thought they were going to get something like, well, you so mad to get this. I didn't. I tried. Now I just hate you. I'm never coming back. And I was a high value customer. So, yeah. And I feel like United has just hit that point in regards to upgrades. Yeah. I long time coming. Obviously, I haven't tried to get upgrades on United in a long time. So I don't have uh, specific details on it. But certainly domestically, I feel like that's been forever. Um, the international stuff used to be vaguely okay. But Hard to find you. I mean, for you, you will find Manchester, Newark, always available on Plus Point. So I get an upgrade on my CR7? It's a 550. Oh, <laughs> why would I want to upgrade on the 550? Economy Plus is the best season. I get those for free as a million miler. Touche. And by the way, if like, you know, I can't upgrade and the Economy Plus is full, I can just crawl into one of those cubbies and sit there and put my bag in the seat. There's tons of room inside those. <laughs> if they like, If you can get away with it, by all means, go for it. For those of you who haven't seen, uh, United did a media day a couple of years ago uh, now, or I mean, it's pre-COVID, so it's a long time ago now, I think it's fall 2019, and it was right when they were unveiling the 550s, and they had one at the gate, and they had it over there that we could tour before we went to the event, and I actually did crawl into one of the bins and was sitting on the bottom and had the flight attendant close me in, and like, it was, it was only for, a, it was a hot second, it was like barely at all. But while we were, while I did that, other people came onto the plane, including Jason Rabinowitz, airline flyer, and they opened it back up and I was in there and like they were, he was filming, open it up. I was like, wait, there's a set in there. <laughs> it was pretty great. Um, there's a video of that somewhere on the interwebs. But uh, anyway, yeah, I listen, Elite Status has, I certainly don't think it offers a ton of advance, advance of travel benefits. I think uh, sort of day of travel, they're still some advantages where it's nice to have but in many cases you can also sort of just buy those benefits i mean was there something recently that someone just did that was also like a the equivalent it was it was credit card related but you're basically just buying into the loyalty like is it air canada well someone... you, are you thinking you're not thinking of british airways with the obvious no um a weird one uh so i'm trying to catch where i put this i wrote a story about it uh yeah oh is that Aeroplan added Avis as a partner for status matching. Okay. If you hold one of their co-brand cards, the Aeroplan co-brand cards, so like the expensive credit card, the fancy ones, you also get the same value. You get Avis Presidents Club if you own a premium Aeroplan credit card. 
same as if you're a super leader of 75k. But if you're only a 25, 35, or 50k at airplane, you get preferred plus, which is one tier down in the Avis Elite program. <laughs> but you don't have... Now, admittedly, the number of people who own or who carry the premium credit card who are not elites, there's probably a smaller overlap there than you'd think. But maybe you're a lower tier, but you have the premium credit card. And again, like you can earn some credit towards elite status with the premium card, all those things. But they're basically saying, even if you don't have elite status, the fact that you give us that extra few hundred dollars or they take part of that extra few hundred dollars that the bank gets, you get uh, this benefit. I don't think they offer the premium card in the States, right? That's only in Canada. I'm not sure of that. I haven't paid enough attention to those cars, but that's all right. Um, anyway, that's uh, a fun little bit. So Fascinating. Would you like to inter- interject some uh, links to credit cards here? Uh, gosh, if only I had them. www.ccshill.com slash acpremiumdld. Uh, enter promo code episode 406 and Seth will buy you a beer next time he sees you. That's the, that's the bonus? Yeah. I mean, you also get the card. No, no, no points, just a beer. Well, you know, you get all the benefits of the card, but if you enter my promo code, I also buy you a beer. Perfect. Uh, in the meantime, as much as I'm annoyed at JetBlue for their uh, this whole devaluation or change to the program that's coming that they're not announcing very smartly, I got a offer for a business card, 80,000 points for $2,000 spend. I was like, well, that's 80,000 points, even if I don't care very much, is over $1,000 in airfare because there's a fixed fee. And I can, okay. I'll spend the money no matter what, so probably gonna end up doing that which pisses me off even more i also have way too many true blue points i need to redeem them but oops um don't keep them too long yeah that's a problem i have i would i keep earning them because of credit card spend and everything else than over the past few couple years and not flying as much so got to start cashing out anyway um that's gonna be it for this week's episode uh more coming up uh, a few extra topics coming after the break for our patreon supporters including some hydrogen discussion uh transatlantic routes for the next year and the National Defense Authorization Act, because that matters somehow, uh, but it does. So uh, on that note, uh, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that. We've got links to that in the show notes and on the website. If you have thoughts or comments or questions, you can reach out to us at more.swarlines.com or at dotslines on Twitter. Uh, and we will catch you next time. Take care. Take care.